Father, we continue in worship this morning and we praise you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, our king, his triumphal entry um, to head to the cross. And we pray for his triumphal entry to um, bring us home. And we just thank you for today. Thank you for the time that we have together, Lord. And we pray that you would cause us to focus our hearts and our minds and all that we are on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome here. If you're just joining us, my name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us today. What we've been doing in our church over the last few months, the winter season and into the spring now, is traveling through the book of Colossians. And the reason we're doing that is because we've just unveiled our new mission and vision here at Midland Free. Our vision is that we aspire to be a gospel-centered family where everyone we encounter moves one step closer to Jesus every day. And as a result, um, what we've done is we say, hey, look, one of the best places to learn about how great Jesus is is the book of Colossians. It tells us why he is absolutely the best, that he is the all-surpassing treasure of infinite worth, that he is the creator and redeemer, the ruler and maker of all things, that if you get Jesus and get nothing else, you still get absolutely filthy rich. Therefore, gain him at all cost, the person, not the shadows, not legalism, not mysticism, but the substance itself, the person of Jesus Christ. There was the last few weeks of sermons rolled up in just a little nugget there, but today is the final one in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. <coughs> So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. Fourth chapter of the book of Colossians, verses 2 through 6. We're not going to cover the final greetings. I'll let you read those. Those are just specific to Paul and some of his associates. And if you want to review the text itself, I encourage you to do that, to go read the whole book again and see what the Lord brings to light now that we've um, gone all the way through it here at Midland Free. But today we're going to focus on the two commands in the final section of, of Colossians chapter 4, beginning verse 2. It says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I, Paul, am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And the second command, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, two commands, walk in wisdom and continue in prayer. Walk in wisdom and continue in prayer, and those will be our two main points for today. I want to unpack the walk in wisdom first, even though it occurs second, and then we'll move into the continuing prayer next. And walk in wisdom is in verse 5. That's the main command or the header, walk in wisdom. And below that, I want to give you four very practical ways that you can see this play out in your daily life. How do I, as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, or any person really, walk in wisdom in today's world, how do we walk in wisdom? Um, four things, and they uh, follow this acronym. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Bibs, 
like overalls, B-I-B-S, but bibs, you know, some of the best advice might have been from the old guy wearing the bibs out on the farm, or maybe it wasn't, maybe that was a bad experience, but either way, just remember this acronym, B-I-B-S, for bibs, wisdom, biblical wisdom. The first question to know whether it is wise or not, whether you should do this, whether you should proceed down this path, path is, is it biblical? B, is it biblical? Let me just shoot really straight with you. If, if we are Christians, look, if we follow Jesus, the Word of God, the Word made flesh, then the very first question we should ask about anything is what does the Bible have to say about it? Is it biblical? We as believers in Jesus Christ, who this God-man revealed in flesh, described in the New Testament and in the Old we put this thing called the scriptures above everything else. If there's a contradiction in some other, um, some other, what do you call it, subject or something like science or math or whatever, what we do is we say either A, these are, these are the places you can go. You can see A, the Bible is wrong. B, that other subject is wrong. C, my understanding of the Bible is wrong, or D, my understanding of that other subject is wrong. And ultimately, the best place to be is where they agree, where science and scripture agree, because God's truth is true universally, and it really won't contradict science or other things. So if there's a contradiction, then there's an error either in our understanding of science, our understanding of the Bible, but there is not an error in the Bible itself. And so what we do is we set Scripture above everything else, and we say this is, this, this is the rule, this is the measure, this is the standard for all of faith and life and practice. And if we're going to do anything or go anywhere, understand anything, it absolutely must be evaluated by Scripture. We say, does this match with that? Do these align? How do they go together? Does it make sense? The first question we have to ask ourselves is, is it biblical? I hope I've made that point, but let me draw it in just a little closer. And the reason for that is because God is just. Look at Colossians 3.25. It says this, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. If you are one of God's children, that means, yes, Jesus has paid your price at the cross. But if you are one of God's children, and you are sinning and in error, it means he will discipline you, because he loves you. If you are not one of God's children, if you have rejected Jesus Christ, then you have foregone the forgiveness that could be yours, and the sentence and penalty still applies to you. And so my best recommendation is by all means accept Jesus so that your sins can be forgiven, your debt paid, and therefore the penalty no longer applied. And if you do that, then you're welcomed into the family of God, in which case the family is loved, but the family is not left on its own. It is guided and part of that guidance includes God's discipline and so before you make a decision you need to really think carefully is it wise have the long-term view look ahead and say does this align with scripture number one b is it biblical number two okay I think it's biblical but number two what are the influences that are playing out in my life what are the influences that are playing out in my life? The first one, B, biblical. The second one, I, 
influence. Influence is important because even every single one of us, even if you don't wear glasses, you read the text or you interpret things in a certain way. We all have lenses through which we see the world. And a lot of our lenses are influenced by those people or places or experiences that we have had that are guiding our interpretation. Okay, so today, for example, there's a lot of influences. But today, some of the biggest influences I see are media. And I don't mean just like TV. I mean social media. I mean Facebook. I mean all this stuff. Pile it all up together and put it in a certain spot. And what I have come to see through COVID especially is how powerful these influences are in people's life. It seems to me that back in the day, pastors used to be able to speak significant truth that would move people to do things. And now I think pastors are more seen as just like a gentle, warm, fuzzy encourager. But my real direction comes from the people that I'm around. So, for example, I would say just on my hobby horse theory here that Young people, to me, seem to be more influenced by their peers and more mature people seem to be more influenced by their politics, both peers and politics, over their pastors. Now, this is an issue. Why? Because I'm a pastor? No, but because you are accountable to the spiritual leadership that God has placed into your life. And if they are saying to you something that's unbiblical, by all means, challenge or go away. Don't stay under something that's not biblical. Agreed. But if you're going to discuss a subject and the first words out of your mouth are, well, that's not scientific or that's not constitutional or that's not this or that's not that. I say, hang on. What are you? Oh, you're a Christian. Okay, so let's start where Christians are supposed to start, and that's in the Bible. And let's ask the question, is it biblical or not? What does the Bible have to say about it? That's where we start our conversation. And if these other things are squawking and yakking and barking at you from the side, fine. But you need to sort out and filter the influences that are in your life and see which one carries more weight. As Christians, the most significant influence should be the Bible. And therefore, if you're talking about influence, you want to look at positive and negative, and I honestly think that a lot of this stuff out here is negative. I'm just going to shoot straight with you. I used to think that social media was sort of amoral, and what I mean by that is this, like money. Okay, so money is something that's amoral. It's just paper, right? It's a medium of exchange. It's a currency. It it has it just sits on the ground. The only reason it's valuable is because we trade it back and forth. But it can become evil if you lust after it and you're greedy for it and you want it in inappropriate ways more than other things. That's when it's evil. All of a sudden it's gone beyond an object to a desire. But that that's what you would consider amoral. But immoral is something really bad. I think social media is actually moving closer into the immoral thing. In other words, they know how we work. They know how we work. They know that our eyes are attracted to motion. They know that as males, if they flash certain images across the screen, we will have a 
physiological response. Our testosterone and other hormones are wired that way. We can't even control that. It just happens. They know that certain colors and movement bring our attention into certain things. And as a result, what's happened is you're being manipulated through this medium. And these people want to make as much money and get as many clicks and as many hits as they can. And we're just getting sucked in and we're not even processing it. And the reality is, I think, as we look at studies that are coming out, what we see is this. We actually see that um, with this experiment we call social media, that the correlation, now we can't prove causation, but the correlation between social media use and anxiety and depression and loneliness is actually going up. What? You're more lonely because you have 500 friends on Facebook? Yes. Because you don't have any real ones. And that's an issue. And so we got to be careful, people. We got to filter this. There's a lot of influences that are coming into our lives, and we got to think about the real impact that this is having on us and say, is this biblical? Is this holistic? Is this true? Is this good? Is this what God really wants? Is this the way he designed us? So number one, is it biblical? Number two, what are the influences playing out on me, either knowingly or unknowingly? And number three, is there balance? So B-I-B, we're on the third B, or second B, balance, balance. Now, we are holistic creatures. We are made in the image of God. And so it's inappropriate to, for example, trash your body. Why is that? Because God gave you a body to bring him glory, and you are supposed to steward this body just like you steward everything else, your time, your talents, your treasure, your money. Your body is part of being made in the image of God. So it's not okay to say, oh, this is just my shell, and when I throw it away, then I'll be free. No. That's Gnosticism that we find here in Colossians. That's mysticism. That's not biblical, holistic Christianity that says you are both spirit and flesh. Listen to this. There is no person ever who has had a spiritual ministry without a physical body. It's never happened. Even Jesus himself took on flesh. The only, the only thing that can do spiritual ministry without a physical body is the Holy Spirit. And we're not it. We're people. And recognizing the reality that I'm not calling you to be Mr. Olympia or Miss America or Barbie or anything else. I'm just saying our physical health is important. Look, you know that. When you get sick, you feel terrible. We're integrated. And so our emotions and our bodies and our spirits, they all play together. And that's why it's not okay to neglect one for the sake of the other. Say, hey, pastor, doesn't the Bible say that, you know, physical exercise profited some, but spiritual discipline even more? Yes. But the Bible says it profits some, <laughs> you know. Do a little, do something, talk to your doctor, but take care of yourself. It's very important. 
because we're holistic creatures made in the image of God. We are physical, we're emotional, we're spiritual, we're relational. And boy, are we seeing that in COVID, right? I mean, if we're locked in our basement and maybe you're an extrovert and you're not getting that contact with people like you need, it's impacting you. And I hope that as we come out of this thing and as as vaccines come out and herd immunity occurs and yada, yada, whatever happens, that people will begin to take from this the learning experience with what they've seen on social media and what they've realized about balance in life and bring it together and say, whoa, we need to be more balanced. We need to play the long game. And as Americans, probably we need to slow down. I mean, how many people have said to me, wow, since the stay-at-home order, we save all kinds of money going out to eat. My mileage is a lot lower on my vehicle. I'm not spending near as much on gas. And I'm actually at home at night having dinner with my family. <laughs> like, what do you know? All of a sudden, our priorities are where they should be. The Lord has a way of doing that at times. And I'm not saying COVID's a good thing. I'm just saying take what you can and learn from it. Because in this experience, we should see, hey, there are things that are more important than what we were doing before. And this should draw that out and bring it into clear focus and say, wow, look at look at our lives. Look at the balance that we need to have. Let's not just as soon as this thing comes out, add everything back in again. Let's take it one step at a time and say, what is important and what can I still leave out? The holistic, biblical approach to wisdom Walking in it, living in it. Number one, is it biblical? Number two, what's influencing me? Number three, balance. And number four, speech. I'm just going to read this to you because I think James says it way better than I can even come close. This is the power of words. You know how it is. They can build up, they can bless, or they can cut down like you wouldn't believe. Little tiny instrument, your tongue. But man, can it do damage. Look at James chapter 3. Beginning in verse 4, using this analogy of ships and rudders, it says, Look at the ships. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member of the body, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image and likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things not ought be. Number four, the fourth way to walk in wisdom is through S, your speech. Be careful what you say. <laughs> Take the old nursery rhyme to heart. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Zip the lips. I know I'd be in a lot less trouble in life if I said less. Say less, less trouble. Say more, more trouble. It's pretty simple. Colossians 4, 6 says this, Let your speech, S, always be gracious, seasoned with salt, 
so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So walk in wisdom. Number one, is it biblical? Number two, what are the influences playing out in my life? Number three, am am I in balance? And number four, how's my speech? Walk in wisdom. If you want to go one step closer to Jesus every day, which is what we're called to do, if you want to pursue the ultimate treasure, then walk in wisdom. Be wise. If something's way out of balance, it's not going to work. If you're saying terrible things, it's not going to work. If you're doing stuff that's unbiblical, it doesn't work. But if you get those things in line, then even when you misstep on occasion, you're still headed in the right direction. Walk in wisdom. Number one. Number two, continue in prayer. Number two is continue in prayer. First one, I gave you four. Second one, I want to give you three. The first was the first four were bibs. In the second set of three, we're going to say when, what, and how. When, what, and how. Continue in prayer. When do I pray? When? Like at mealtime? Well, yeah, that's a great time. At bedtime? Yes, that's a great time. In the morning? Yes, that's a great time. Well, when shouldn't I pray? Never. (laughs) Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. Continue in prayer. The idea is this ongoing aspect where you're devoted to this, just persevering and continuing in this conversation no matter what. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer here in just a second. And let me give you a little inside information. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, typically we say, um, for thine is the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a really nice ending. You know what? It's not in the Bible. (laughs) You actually won't see it in the ESV. It's in some um, earlier um, translations, not not manuscripts, but translations. The oldest manuscripts don't have that section. And so most modern translators, biblical scholars, theologians, don't think that's part of the original prayer because the original prayer didn't have an ending on it. And so the scribe would naturally be like, hey, that's not right. We need to like tie this up with a bow, right? So he puts a neat little ending on it. There's nothing wrong with it, and you're welcome to pray it all you want, but it's not part of the original text. So what happens is Jesus ends his prayer without an ending. Why is that? Well, I think he did it on purpose. Because there is no ending. Like you're supposed to keep praying, keep talking continually. It's a conversation that goes on and on. You're like, get a good parking spot. You're like, thank you, Jesus. You stub your toe. You're like, oh, God, help. (laughs) You know? Do what you need to do, but maybe that'll keep that cuss word from coming out. And then in every single experience, it's engaging God in prayer. You're walking with him throughout the day and continuing this conversation in a very realistic way. You're going down for a nap and you're like, Lord, I'm tired. Will you please put your arms around me and help me to rest? I need to snuggle up to you. Pray, man. Keep going. Pray, pray, pray all day long. Be devoted to it. The, uh, the apostles did it. Acts chapter 6, verse so 4 says, We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Paul says it like this in Romans 12, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Well, what do I pray, Pastor Jeremy? I'm not a theologian or I'm not a scholar or whatever. Just pray what's already written. Pray the Bible. Well, how do I do that? I'll show you in just a minute. So when is constantly, what is the Bible, and how? Here we go. Let me show you in Matthew chapter 6. 
This is what I want to call the Matthew model. The Matthew model of prayer. Matthew chapter 6. And you can do it with any scripture. Don't, don't get me wrong. This isn't the only thing you can pray. Like we just read the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians is a great book to pray. Just go to Colossians chapter 1. Read a verse and then start praying about that verse. You can do the same thing with Ephesians. Two very short books, only a few chapters. Pray those books. Open them up. Read a verse and start praying it. You'll be all set. But let me show you specifically the Matthew model in Matthew chapter 6. And the reason I want to show you that is because it's so common. Many people who've grown up in church, even if you didn't believe in any of the church stuff, you know this prayer that we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Now, the great irony in that is that this is not the Lord's Prayer. Okay, let me say that again. This is not the Lord's Prayer. Jesus didn't actually pray this prayer. What Jesus prayed is in John 17. It's much longer. But this is the prayer that Jesus answers his disciples when they're like, Lord, teach us how to pray. How should we pray? What do we say? We don't know. Jesus says, pray like this. Here's the prayer. So if anything, you should call it the disciples' prayer or our prayer. We'll call it the Matthew model because it seems kind of catchy. I kind of like that, maybe. I don't know. The Matthew model, whatever you want to call it, this is the prayer that we're supposed to pray. And let me assure you, it's not a formula, okay? So it's not hocus pocus alamogokus. It's not magic. And Jesus will actually spell that out because some of his non-Jewish um disciples will think that jesus is prescribing a magical formula because that's the backgrounds they grew up in this this um pagan deism where you think of the incantation recite it correctly and maybe just maybe you'll be able to manipulate the deity to give you what you want in exchange for what you think he wants that's paganism it's not christianity we think like that we're like man if i really good today maybe jesus will answer my prayer if i'm really really good god did you see that i just gave blood can that be like in exchange for we do that but jesus is saying no no no. (laughs) let me show you let me show you how to pray pray matthew 6 verse 5 first thing to clear up is it's not a show jesus says when you pray you must not pray like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and the street corners that they may be seen by others Truly, I say to you, they've already received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's not a show. It's not a public spectacle. Probably, in our culture, that's not a thing. We don't have people down at the mall saying big prayers and lots of people gathering around going, well, aren't they cool for their cool prayer? That doesn't really happen to us. But we should be clear that there might be some circles where big prayers are extra special. Jesus is saying it's not about being big, it's about being real. Go to him in secret and get real. Number one, or in verse five, it's not a show. Number, let's look at verse seven. It says this, this is the magic stuff I was referring to. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. In Greek, that word is batalogain. It sounds like the same word we get, babbling. Okay? It's called onomatopoeia. It's like, boom! Bang! Ouch! Things that sound like what they are. Gargling is onomatopoeia. 
babbling, batalogain. Don't heap up these empty phrases, babbling, as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many rewards. It's nonsense. Using magical incantations or words that don't add up, syllables that don't work, this is not what gets what you want when you pray. Jesus says, don't pray like that. They, they think they'll be heard for that special speech. No, no, no. Straightforward, simple. God already knows what you need before you ask. You don't have to get fancy. You don't have to try some other method. Just talk to him like this. Verse 9. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Whoa. Feel that? Feel the weight of that? What a start. What a prayer. Now, there is so much in here. Literally, I could spend hours on it, and I actually have. So if you go to our website, our new website, midlandfree.org, there is an hour and a half, 335, well, it's more than an hour and a half, but 335-ish minute sections of teaching that I did at a teaching seminar on this very prayer. So today, I'm going to blitz through it in the next three to five minutes. But if you want more, you can go in-depth online and watch all that teaching. But look at this. These are not specific words. These are big category prayers. First thing it says is, Our Father. That means we are a family. For believers in Jesus Christ, He calls us brothers. If we're brothers with one another, that means we have the same Father. As we relate to Christ and He relates to the Father, So the father relates to his sons and daughters, and as a result, we can call him dad. We believe in Jesus as we relate to him. That means that we also relate to the father. So we come into the presence of the almighty God with infinite power, infinite love, infinite forgiveness, infinite grace, and infinite resources, and we call out, Father, help. And that's power right there. That is power. That's real power. I mean, we think we have power in other places, but there is power to be able to call God Father. That's a special privilege unique to you and I. Number one, Father. Number two, in heaven, He rules. He reigns. He's above everything. He sees it all. He knows, as Hagar says, you are the God who sees. When other people don't see, Jesus does. He knows what you're going through. He's everywhere all the time, and He sees you. In your specific spot, in your specific struggle from on high, God is in heaven, not on earth. His eyesight is not blinded. He sees everything. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Listen to the great purpose and calling of all of humanity. What is the chief end of humanity? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Piper phrases it, I am most satisfied when God is most glorified in me. When you are fulfilling your purpose to glorify Him, then you are most fulfilled. The next phrase in this tiny little thing encompasses the purpose of our very existence, our whole reason for being on the planet, the reason God made Adam and Eve, male and female, in His image to bring Him glory. And that's where we find joy and fulfillment and peace. When his name is being hallowed or honored, his name, his person, his essence. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Next, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Boy, is this an important prayer right now. I've heard so much stuff lately about other people and other kingdoms and other politics and whatever. I want to say, people, stop. We're Christians. Our first priority is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdom of Republican or the kingdom of Democrat or the kingdom of mask or no mask or anything else. That's not my purpose for being here. I have very little to do with it. Reality is, I am called, and you are called to this, Matthew 6.33, to seek first. Listen, this is your calling. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all that other stuff comes after. Seek first the kingdom of God. When you pray this prayer, I hope you mean it. This is a hard part of the prayer to pray. This is Mary saying to the angel and to Jesus once, or to God once, she finds out she's pregnant. Uh-huh. Let it be to me according to your will. This is Jesus in the garden saying, not my will but yours. This is me and you every day dying to ourselves, sacrificing our rights, sacrificing our rights, being selfless, giving up what we think is owed to us and saying, not my will but yours. Not my will but yours. Your kingdom, your will on earth just like it is in heaven. God first, everything else second. That's a big prayer right there. Next one, and now those are the big ones, by the way. Those are the big picture. And then, But God knows we're people, so he knows we need stuff. And he understands there's a daily thing too. And so the next one brings it down a notch and says, okay, give us this day our daily bread. Recognize that we got to eat. <laughs> we're, we're people. we got to eat got to sleep we just talked about all that in balance right like we have these bodies and they don't just function indefinitely we have to take care of them and as a result there is a promise here but the promise is not just for food but is for provision and we need to understand that there are christians throughout the world who suffer from hunger and starvation and food that doesn't mean this text is untrue what it means is god will give you what you need for that day If the Christian is languishing in prison, then God's Spirit will come to them and provide them comfort and grace and assurance and hope and peace. And if the Christian is on top of the world and infinitely wealthy, and they're truly following Jesus, then the Spirit will come to them and remind them of how important it is for them to be humble and generous and bless God for what they have. This is a calling for daily provision, whatever it might be. And understand, it's just like the manna in the wilderness. The, the people that were close to Jesus that had that um, Old Testament background, they would understand. When you talk about daily bread, what that means is you go out in the morning and you find your food on the floor in front of you. And you pick it up and you eat it and then it's gone. And you go to bed that night and there are no cupboards, there are no cabinets, there is no Walmart, Aldi, Meyer, or anything else. There's just a prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And if God comes through, you eat. And if he doesn't, you don't. You are dependent on him. This shows us our extreme dependence. We as Americans want to build up our barns and storehouses and wealth and 401Ks and 403Bs and pensions and everything else. But what this talks about is daily, like daily dependence. Everything we do, every breath, 
every step, everything comes from him. Like, Lord, I want another one. Thanks. I want another one. Thanks. Every single one. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, this is not a conditional clause. Most people make this conditional. Like, Lord, if I forgive Joe, will you forgive me, please? That's not what I, this says. This says, as we have forgiven, which means the very fact that we're able to forgive proves that we're forgiven. The fact that we as fallen human beings can forgive, if we think we can forgive, think how much more God can forgive you. This is an exponential blessing that says there's infinite forgiveness available to you if you will simply apply it. Lord, the fact that I forgave somebody else and kind of did is a, a miracle. But how much more so can you forgive me? Forgive us our debts as we have actually forgiven and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Recognizing our fallen flesh has desires. We have wirings. We have emotions, and those want to lead us astray because we're broken. Some of us, it might be for something sexual. Some of us, it might be something physical. Some of us, it might be something emotional or whatever it might be. But those desires are there. We are broken flesh. But knowing that, we ask for the Holy Spirit's provision to lead us away from where we would naturally lead ourselves. That Jesus, as Psalm 23 says, would truly be our good shepherd and his rod and his staff would beat us back in line. Hebrews 13 says, God disciplines those whom he loves. If you're one of his, look forward to it. He's going to help you with that. <laughs> you can correct it or he'll help you correct it. Lead us not into temptation, Lord. Deliver us from evil. It's coming after us in every way. And then we would naturally close it but it actually doesn't close. Because what this text actually tells us is to continue in prayer. Keep going. Don't stop. Keep praying. Earnestly, every day, with thanksgiving, the antidote for sin, over and over again. If you want to grow one step closer to Jesus every day, if you want to fulfill your calling in life to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, and walk in wisdom, and continue in prayer. When you come into a situation, ask yourself, is it biblical? What's influencing me right now? Will this help the balance in my life or will it offset the balance? And how will I speak? And if you have any questions, by all means, continue in conversational prayer with God. When? All the time. What? Through Scripture. And how? Just like the Lord's Prayer. Start big, and then go small. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's pray that together now as we get ready to close. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. It's from evil. That's all. We'll keep going after that. Thank you, Pastor Jeremy.
So yes, we are 